Amen. Thank you, worship team. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This morning, we're going to jump in where we left off last week in verse 15 as we continue to talk about imitating God as His children. So let me just kind of remind you as the children make their way out, let me remind you of sort of the context of what we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 5. Look back with me in verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so, What Paul is trying to encourage us to do is to look toward our Heavenly Father and imitate Him in the very same way that children imitate their fathers on earth. He's given us a picture that we can comprehend, that we can understand. We want to be like our Heavenly Father. Amen? Now, we know we're never going to be exactly like Him. We know that we got a long way to go, and we're always going to fall short of His glory this side of heaven. But we want to walk in a manner that's worthy of our salvation. We want to live like we have truly been saved. We want to imitate our Heavenly Father, all giving us the picture of what Paul's been showing us since the beginning of chapter 4 that will continue really through the end of chapter 6 and the letter as a whole. And so by the time we get to verse Verse 15, Paul gives us the third way in which we can walk in order to imitate our God and our Father. And that is that we would imitate God by walking in wisdom. And in the text this morning, we're going to see three ways in which we can imitate God by walking in wisdom. So let's read verses 15 through 21. We'll pray and then we'll make our way through the text together. So Paul says in verse 15, look carefully Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you have allowed us to gather together this morning to hear your word proclaimed. We pray that we would take full advantage of the opportunity before us, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would even convict us where we need to be convicted, that you might be glorified, that we would continue to be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would imitate you well, even though we know that we have a long way to go. So Lord, help us to understand what it means to walk Walk in wisdom this morning according to this text. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see three ways in which we can imitate God by walking in wisdom. Number one, we walk in wisdom by making the best use of our time. Let me say that again. We walk in wisdom by making the best use of our time. Now, in verse 15, Paul is going to use the term walk for the last time in this letter. Remember, this is a term that he first introduced back in chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to walk 
worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In other words, we're to walk worthy or we're to live out our salvation. And Paul has repeated this term again and again in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that we are to walk or live in a certain way. And so for the last time, Paul is going to use the term walk as he tells us to walk not unwisely, but to walk wisely, to walk in wisdom. And then Paul is going to spell out for for us what it means to walk or to live out the wisdom of God. And so he began back in chapter 4. He's going to finish this conversation, if you will, this morning. Although the idea of living out our salvation is going to continue through the end of chapter 6. Now, before we can understand what we're supposed to do and how we're to walk in wisdom, we first of all have to better understand what Paul means when he uses the term wisdom. And in order to do that, we want to see how has Paul used the term wisdom within the book of Ephesians or the letter of Ephesians So far, so you got your Bibles open, keep them open to chapter 5, but I want you to flip back with me now to chapter 1. We're going to do this all morning long, so keep your Bibles up and active and ready. We're not going to leave Ephesians, so you don't have to worry about Bible drills, just need to be able to find chapters and verses. So here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. There's the term. And insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Look down with me now in verses 16 through 18. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Thus in chapter 1, wisdom, the term wisdom, is the understanding of salvation through faith in Christ. It's understanding the purpose of God to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. That's how Paul uses the word wisdom in chapter 1. It is a understanding of all that God has done through Christ to bring us salvation. Well then notice what he says in chapter 3. Verses 8 through 10. He says to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here in chapter 3, the term wisdom is the wisdom of God in salvation, which is to be made known to the world, including the rulers and the authorities. So here is how Paul uses the term wisdom in Ephesians. It is a reference to God's wisdom in salvation. 
It is how God took sinners like us, sons of disobedience and children of wrath, those who had rejected God and transformed us into the image of His Son. It's how we went from enemies of God to children of God. How we went from separated from God to in the love of God. And it was done not according to us, not according to our abilities or what we brought to the table. It wasn't done according to our wisdom. It was done according to the wisdom of God. Amen? And so when Paul says that we are to walk in wisdom, he says that we are to walk in light of our salvation. Wisdom is God's plan of salvation. Paul says you're to live in light of God's wisdom in bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we walk in wisdom then? How do we walk in wisdom? Well, we walk in wisdom, first of all, by trusting Jesus Christ personally for our salvation. To walk in light of our salvation means that we have first and foremost trusted Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior. Listen, I I want you to understand, God loves you. He has called you into this place today so that you could hear his word proclaimed. And part of hearing his word proclaimed is hearing the gospel proclaimed. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your personal sins not just the sins of mankind out there but your sins amen our sins my sin he died for me he died for you so that after having paid for your sins and removing your sin you and i could have a personal and intimate relationship with god the father through his son jesus christ that's what christ has done that was the wisdom of god in salvation amen And in order for that to make a difference to us, we have to trust Jesus personally. I can't can't rely upon the faith of my father or grandfather. I can't rely upon the faith of my fellow church members. I have to make sure that I have made a decision that I want to follow Jesus personally. So that when Jesus calls me unto salvation, I respond by faith and put my life in the hands of Jesus. And so if we want to live in light of the wisdom of God, live in light of our salvation, first of all, I have to make sure that I've trusted Jesus personally. Listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that today can be the day that you trust Jesus. Today can be the day that your eternal life is secured and you are transformed from enemy of God to child of God. Amen? Listen, if that's happened in your life, say amen. Isn't it exciting to know that God's wisdom in salvation was to save me from my sins so that I could become his child, so that one day he could call me to imitate him as a father? It's amazing, amen? And it's God's wisdom in salvation. So first of all, we, we, we walk in light of, our, of God's salvation plan by trusting Jesus personally, but then secondly, we walk in light of God's salvation plan by making the gospel known to others. Notice this in verse 16. Paul says that we're to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We're to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. My, uh, I got a call this week from, from somebody in my family that another member in my family is, uh, is passing away. He's got cancer and it's not going to be too long. And so, so now he's trying to figure out what does he want to do with the last little bit of time he's got. 
right? Because he, he got that reality that time is limited. And so now he's beginning to view things. What do I need to do to make sure that I make the best use of my time? Now, of course, he's got some trips he wants to do. He wants to see this. He wants to do that. But one of the things that he voiced as a concern was that he wasn't quite sure that his son was a believer. And he said, I, I want to I make sure that I do everything I can to influence my son more for the gospel. I'm secured of my salvation and have no worries with my death. But I'm not certain he's a believer yet. And I want to make sure that I do what I can to explain and preach and teach the gospel to him. That's making the best use of your time. Amen? Because you know the days are limited. You know the days are evil. So what do we do as believers who know salvation, who've been transformed by the grace of God? How do we make the best use of our time? We make the best use of our time by declaring the gospel to others. Amen? Nothing else really matters. When you know the end is imminent, when you know the end is at hand, which it is, then all the other things go away. Those things aren't important any longer. The only thing that really matters is, are we declaring Christ to the lost and dying world? Paul says to walk in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is God's salvation plan. So we're to walk in light of our salvation, meaning that we trust Jesus personally. But if we're going to make the best use of the time that we have, because the days are wicked, the best use of time that we can, or, or the best way we can use the time we have left in a wicked and dark generation is to declare the gospel. Why? Because there's a world full of people that are lost that are going to die separated from God and they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. And the sad thing is there are those that that describes that are in our own families, that are in our neighborhood, that are in our community. People that we know and that we love who do not know Jesus Christ. How can we make the best use of the time we have? We can lovingly declare the gospel to them. We can lovingly pray for their salvation. Amen? Because at the end of the day, that's all that's really going to matter. Amen? That's all that's going to last. That's all that's going to matter. So what does the wisdom of God dictate we do? It dictates that we share Christ with all who will listen. This is to be our primary concern Because the days are coming to an end. So let's make the best use of our time by doing all that we can to impact eternity for the kingdom of God. We walk in wisdom by making the best use of our time. And then secondly, we walk in wisdom by understanding the will of the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 17. In verse 17, we're introduced to a second contrast. Notice the first contrast. Don't be unwise, but walk in wisdom. The second contrast here is introduced in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but instead understand what the will of the Lord is. So those that are foolish, understand, are those that reject God and they reject their dependence upon God. Those that are foolish say, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I'm fine without God. Therefore, they reject God and they refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon God. In other words, fools are those who say no to God. 
Because in their foolishness, they don't think they need God. Paul says, don't be foolish. Instead, understand or discern what the will of God is. Now, in order for us to understand what the will of God is, we again need to know what Paul means by the term. Thankfully, this is a term that Paul has used several times so far in the book of Ephesians. So, again, look back with me in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 5 through 11, and we're going to highlight the three times that Paul uses the term will so that we might understand what God's will is. So, look with me now in verses 5 through 11. Paul says that he, Jesus, God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will what is the will of God God's made his will known to us in verses 5 through 11 His will is that those whom he has predestined, those whom he has chosen, would come to faith in him as his children. And the awesome thing is that we know that God is the one who not only determines his will, but he accomplishes his will. Amen? So that those whom have been predestined will be adopted as sons and daughters because God will allow them to put their faith and trust in him. So what is the will of God? The will of God is that the gospel would be proclaimed... So that people could put their faith and trust in him. Now I want you to to understand this. The will of God has to do with the great commission. With making disciples of all the nations. It's not about your personal plan for your life. Alright, time out for just a second. Here's how we tend to think about the will of God. We pray, I've done it many, many, many times. I was convicted heavily this week through study. This is how I have always prayed, God, help me know what your will is for my life. Because I want to know exactly what you want me to do individually so that I can be within your will. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's how we typically think about God's will. We think about it almost selfishly as in me, me, me. God, tell me, me, me what you want me, me, me to do, right? And it's all about me. Paul doesn't use it that way. In chapter 1, Paul talks about the will of God, not for him personally, but the will of God in a a more general sense, where he says God's will is that the lost would be saved. God's will is that the predestined would come to faith in Christ. Amen? So God's will for your life may include, and I would even say does include, the particular details of life. But God's will always revolves around making the gospel known and making disciples of the nations. So here's what that means. It means that you could pray and you could ask God, God, where should I work? What job should I have? 
God could lead you to the exact job he wanted you to have for the exact season of life that you're in. But if you're not using your job to make the gospel known, you are outside of God's will. That's tough. Amen? Because we've always just sort of assumed that all we have to do is go where God has led us and once we get there, we can kind of put it on cruise control. I'm in the will of God. I'm living in the neighborhood God wanted me to live in. I'm, I'm, I'm working at the place God wanted me to work. I'm at the school God wanted me to be at. And I'm just coasting along because I know I'm in the will of God. And Paul says, no. That's not making the best use of your time by putting it in cruise control. He says, remember the days are evil. Don't be foolish, Paul says. Don't get distracted by this life. Amen? Know that God's will ultimately is that the lost would be saved. And so wherever God has placed you within his will for your personal individual life, yes, wherever he's placed you, he's placed you there to declare the gospel and make Christ known. Amen? Now, we're all quiet and we're all silent because that's convicting. (laughs) Amen? That kind of hurts a little bit. Because all of us know that we could do far more than we're doing to make the gospel known, right? So I I don't want you to leave convicted and hurt. Now, if the Holy Spirit's doing it, that's his job, not mine. He's allowed to do that. But, But I want you to leave with a new conviction about where you're at and why you are there. You're at the school, the job, the house, the place, the season of life. You are in that area you are in that will of god ultimately to make the gospel known so go to there wherever there is tomorrow with that in mind how can i make the gospel known some of you work in a secular job and there is a strict no religious talk policy right that's fine you go You figure out who god has placed upon your heart that you can build a relationship with and you ask them if they want to get coffee Take them outside of the workplace where your job no longer has jurisdiction over you and you make a relationship with them so that you can declare the gospel to them. Amen? That's how you get around that stuff. That's how you do what God's called you to do even when the world says you don't do it. And let me just encourage you, obey God and don't worry about your boss so much. Amen? Like make the gospel primary. Why? Because it is primary. And so it's not just about us knowing what God wants for us individually, but it's knowing how God wants to use us individually to make the gospel known. God's will for all of us is that we would make disciples. And we don't have to pray about that to find that out. Amen? God's commanded all of us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And so the time is limited. Let's make the best use of it. Let's do that which we know is God's will. And let's make disciples of the lost and dying world. Knowing that God is the one who brings about salvation. Amen. You know, the most encouraging thing about understanding God's will in light of verses 5 through 11 in chapter 1. It's that God is the one who accomplishes his will. It's not about me declaring the gospel in such a way that people are drawn to Christ. 
That's not at all what salvation is. Chapter 1, go back and read it. It's clear. God's chosen and predestined us before the foundation of the world. He causes it to happen. He brings us to faith in Him. All we've got to do is open our mouths and He does all the work. Amen? That's encouraging. That's exciting. Amen? Because all it means is all, all God wants is me to be faithful enough to just open my mouth. And God's going to use it for His glory. And so we walk in wisdom by making the best use of our time. We walk in wisdom by understanding the will of the Lord. And then thirdly, we walk in wisdom by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 18, we have the third contrast. Whereby Paul introduces this concept in verse 18 of chapter 5. You've got to flip back there. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 18 seems to come out of nowhere. Because we are not ready for this command not to be drunk with wine. We're, we're not in the middle of a list of vices like we have seen elsewhere. There's, there's plenty of other places that Paul could have mentioned this and it fit the context better. Like back in chapter 4 where Paul said, take off the old and put on the new. Stop stealing, get a job, give to the poor, right? That, that would have been fitting. Stop getting drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, and let God take control of your life. That would have made better sense. And so the question is, why... Does Paul introduce this in verse 18, this idea not to be drunk with wine? Well, within the context, it becomes clear. Paul is using this negative in order to highlight the positive. In the same way he did back in verse 15 and again in verse 17. He said in verse 15, don't be unwise, be wise. He said in verse 17, don't be foolish, discern the will of God. The emphasis was on walking in wisdom. The emphasis was on discerning the will of God. Here the emphasis is not on not getting drunk with wine, but instead being filled with the Spirit. So how does verse 18 and the idea of not being drunk help us understand what the positive is? Well, look at verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is or that leads to debauchery. Now, why is that the case? Well, because when people drink alcohol to excess, the alcohol tends to take control and they do things that they would not normally do, right? So when you think of somebody that is drunk, normally you think of two broad categories. You think of the angry, violent drunk, and you think of the loosened up, happy, let's have a good time drunk. In both instances, you have a person that is allowing the alcohol to take control of them. They've lost control. It's a term and a phrase we use to describe it. And they start doing things that they would not normally do because the alcohol is taking control. Paul clearly says, don't do that. It is sin. Don't misunderstand. I'm not making light of that. It is a clear command in Scripture that we cannot get drunk with wine. All right. Now, we're not going to open up the can of worms about alcohol and all that, but I will point out the text doesn't say don't drink alcohol. The text says don't get drunk with wine. I will also point out that when Jesus drank wine in the New Testament, it wasn't grape juice. It was the good stuff. It was fermented. It was alcoholic, which is why you, don't, you have a command that says don't get drunk. Nobody ever warns you don't get drunk by drinking, drinking too much Welch's grape juice. Because it's not alcoholic. There's no reason to warn you about it. Right? Now, we're just going to stop there. You can tell where I'm going. We can have that conversation later. Because we don't have time for it in the text. But in the text, here's what Paul says. Don't be controlled by alcohol. 
Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Well, now the context makes sense. Amen. Now that command fits perfectly. What's awesome about verse 18 is verse 18 sets us up for everything else we're going to see in the rest of this letter. What we see in verse 18 is that command to be filled. It is an independent verb. It is actually an independent verb in the imperative uh, tense, which means that it is a command. Independent means it can stand on its own. All that follows in verses 19 through 21 are dependent verbs or dependent commands, meaning we can't obey verses 19 through 21 unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the term filled with. I love the image. It, it's, it's this idea of filled to the brim, right? Not, not a little bit. Filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit of God is the one that has taken control of me. That's an awesome image, amen? Again, we have to understand though, what does Paul mean when he talks about being filled? Why does Paul use that terminology? Well, again, let's go back to chapter 1. We're going to hit chapter 3 and we're going to end up in chapter 4 before we finally make it back to chapter 5. Chapter 1. Verses 22 through 23. What does God mean when he talks about this being filled or this fullness? Well, look with me in chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. Let me give you the context. And he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus the Son's feet. And he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Then look with me now in chapter 3, verse 19. Paul is praying, and he prays in verse 19, that the Ephesians would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled to the brim with all that God is. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does Paul say he's praying for? What is God's will that we would be filled with? Paul says God is filled. Filling you with the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ. In other words, we are all being transformed into the image of our Heavenly Father. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. And do you know how much of a chance you and I have of making that happen in our own lives? Zero. So what do we need? We need, first of all, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be controlled by the Spirit so that when the Spirit takes control, He can lead us and guide us in our life so that day by day, moment by moment, we will be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. Knowing that we won't make it this side of heaven. We're going to get closer than we are now, but we're still going to be a long ways away until we finally take our final breath and God transforms us completely into the image of His Son. One day we will bear the image of God perfectly again. Amen? But 
In that meantime, we are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us and guides us. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes control so that we can be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. Again, I said verse 18 is awesome because it helps us transition into what follows. Paul is going to say, you can't do marriage right unless you're filled with the Spirit. You can't do children right unless you're filled with the Spirit. You can't work right. You can't do spiritual warfare. You can't survive life as a believer without first being filled with the Spirit. But the first thing that Paul mentions, the impact of being filled with the Spirit is going to be felt, is it's going to be felt right here within the body of Christ. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. As it transitions into verse 19. Don't get drunk with wine. That's wrong. It's sin. It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with or controlled with the Spirit. And then here's the impact. These next five verses all are dependent upon us, first and all, being filled with the Spirit. The first verb Paul uses is the word addressing. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The next one is singing. The next one is making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving is the fourth verse in verse 20. Thanking God always. Giving thanks always uh, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting is the fifth and final to one another out of reverence for Christ. Addressing one another, singing, making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another. All five dependent commands that can only be done if we first of all have been filled with the Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, let's look at them. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Notice a couple of things in that verse that are important. First of all, notice the audience is each other, not God alone. Think about that. Listen, this should impact our worship. Because when we sing praises to God, we are not just singing to the audience of one as contemporary Christian music likes to talk about it. We are singing to one another as well. Not to impress one another, but to declare God's glory to each other. Amen? Don't be fooled into thinking that when you're worshiping, it's just you and God alone. That's not how God designed it. God puts us in a body. He wants us to declare his glory to one another. Amen? So that when we sing praises to God, when we sing worship to God, we're addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I know what you want to do. You want to do what everybody that comes to this verse wants to do. And you want to figure out, okay, what are psalms, what are hymns, and what are spiritual songs? And we love to have this idea that, okay, hymns are like the hymns that we have in our hymnal. Except for, I don't think they were around when Paul wrote this. I thought more than some, just like wit would laugh. I thought, you realize Jesus didn't write Amazing Grace, right? As, as much as I love Amazing Grace, Jesus didn't write that. And I love to point out that there was a group of, of people that one day thought that amazing grace is just disrespectful. I can't believe we're singing a song like that because it was new and nobody liked it. Whoo, that hurt, didn't it? But that's, that, that's how we treat new stuff. We don't like it, it's new. Well, Amazing Grace and Victory in Jesus, two of my all-time favorite hymns, used to be new as well. Amen? That's not what he's referring to here. We love to think, okay, hymns are the hymns we have in our hymnal, and spiritual songs, those are the modern worship songs. That, don't, don't do that, because all of these words are interchangeable, and we don't know what they mean. Here's what it shows. They used a variety of styles of song to worship the Lord their God. 
Amen? And as they were worshiping the Lord through a variety of different styles, they were singing with each other in mind. That's awesome. Because what that means is that when I don't like the praise song because I don't like the style of it, but I look across the aisle and see someone else does, I'm okay with that. You know why? Because they're worshiping God and I'm concerned about them, not just me. Amen? And I find myself at this awesome place of life where I'm, I'm middle-aged now, right? 43 Life expectancy for men is somewhere in the 80 range, I guess. So I'm, I'm like technically middle age at this point. And so, so I love because I, I see that in reality. Because I, I listen to some of the music that my children listen to. And I say to myself, I don't say it out loud yet because I'm not there yet. But I say it internally. How do they listen to that stuff? How do you even understand what those words are? Right? I get it. Right. And then I and then I, I look at I look at like my dad who is 80 and I, I, I hear like his music and I listen to some of the stuff he listened to when he was a kid. And he's just wondering just and I'm going, how in the world did you listen to that? Right. And I, I can see both sides and I'm just in the middle stuck in my own world. I like this style. This is what I'm comfortable with. I don't understand that, and that sounds really old. And I can't wait because I'm headed toward the point where I'm going to be listening to stuff that everybody thinks is old as dirt. And I'm not even going to understand any of the words they're singing way down yonder, right? And it's just this awesome thing where style doesn't matter. Content matters in the worship song. Amen? So we want to declare God's glory to one another through a variety of different styles that we can stand, that we're comfortable with, and that we have the ability to do. Listen, I'd love to praise God through orchestra. We, we can't do that here, right? We don't have that ability here, amen, right? I personally would love to praise God in such a way that other people liked hearing me sing, but that's not, God didn't give me that. Right? I can't sing publicly out loud and it bring glory to God. Right? I need to sing down here with Luke. That's why Luke, Luke and I, we have a duet going on down here. Right? And we're worshiping God with each other, singing praises to God. And we're worshiping, but the only people that need to hear us are me and Luke. Right? And if you sing like us, come join us. We got the bad section right down here. Right? And that's why we sit so close to some of these ladies behind us. They sing over us. Praise the Lord. Right, We're right between good singers and great singers. And it's just, we're right here in the good section down here. right? But we're, we're, we're singing. We're addressing one another in song. Notice the next one, we're singing. It speaks of using our voices to praise God. Making melody speaks of using musical instruments to praise God. When you take those two together, it gives us the picture of worship through song. Where you are singing with music in the background and notice the audience changes. We're no longer addressing one another. But notice in verse, uh, verse 19, now we are making melody to the Lord with your heart. So that when we are singing and worshiping through song, we're declaring God's grace and God's glory to each other. But we are also worshiping Him with our whole hearts. Amen. There's no such thing as an audience of one. It's an audience of all. It's the body of Christ. Amen? 
We're worshiping God. We're worshiping with each other. We're declaring His glory amongst each other. And notice verse 20, we are also giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. Giving thanks always and for everything is all-encompassing. That means we give God thanks for the stuff we like and we give God thanks for the stuff that doesn't feel too good. Amen? Because ultimately God uses all of it to mold us and conform us into the image of His Son. Jesus was the babe born in a manger. Jesus was the glorious Son of God who lived perfectly through this life. But he was also the same Jesus that endured great persecution and suffering, died on the cross, having been abandoned by all that loved him. The good and the bad God uses to conform us into the image of his son. Amen? We won't be like Jesus unless unless we've endured persecution. Because Jesus endured it. If we're going to be conformed into his image, we will also endure difficulty. And then finally, submitting to one another. The term submit... It means to arrange under. And in the text, as we see it continues in the weeks to come, we will see that it means to arrange under divinely ordered relationships. For instance, if you will notice ahead in the text, we're going to have a section on wives and husbands, then children and parents, then bond servants and masters. And in each case, the wife is to submit to the husband, the child to the parent, the slave to the master. It means to arrange under divinely ordained relationships. And in the context, it does not mean that we all submit to one another so that everybody gets their way. That's not possible. It means that we submit to the divinely ordered relationships that God has established in the church. Jesus as the head, pastor as giving oversight and leadership, deacons as serving the church and the congregation approving of all that is done. That's the model of the church that we see in the New Testament. And Paul says that we're to submit to God's ordered relationships within the church. And so what we see here is that this can't happen unless we are first and foremost filled with the Spirit and under the control of the Spirit. So next week when we get to the passage on husbands and wives, we can't do marriage God's way unless we're filled with the Spirit. Following that, child and parent, we can't do parenting and child rearing God's way unless we're filled with the Spirit. We have to first and foremost be filled with the Spirit. And then notice at the end of verse 21, all of this is to be done out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because He is our head. He is the one that we are living for. He is the one that we are supposed to bring glory to. And so we do what we do. We walk in wisdom, imitating our Heavenly Father, ultimately to bring Jesus glory. So let me ask you, are you walking in wisdom? First of all, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, as I said at the beginning, today can be the day that you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you feel God speaking to you, if you feel God calling you unto salvation, that is proof that he loves you and that is proof that he desires a relationship with you. Secondly, are you making the best use of the time? The end is coming, the days are evil. If we're going to make the best use of time, we have to truly walk in wisdom, which is living out God's salvation plan and making his gospel known. Are we, are we doing all that we can to understand and discern the will of the Lord? 
so that wherever God has led us individually in our lives, we are not just doing those things, job, work, school, etc. We are doing those things in order to be used by God to make disciples of the nations. That is primary. Everything else in our life is secondary. Even as a parent, I am a parent first and foremost to make disciples of my children. Secondly, I want to teach them how to live life. But if they master life and they become the most successful versions of who they are, but they don't know Jesus, then I have failed and that's not what I want for them. Amen? I'd rather them be living under a bridge and know Jesus than Fortune 500 company, CEO, and have all the money that they can handle. I want my children to know Christ and to know Him well. Amen? And so... As, 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 as we discern God's will, are we fulfilling the Great Commission? And then, and then lastly, are we following God's will by being led by the Spirit in our lives? Have we relinquished control and have we just said, Jesus, I'm all yours? Are we being filled with the Spirit? Are we being controlled by the Spirit? If you're breathing and in the room, chances are, you're not doing all of these things the way that you ought to be doing all these things. Amen? And so like me, you've got room to grow. Like me, you've got things to confess, things to discuss with the Lord, and you've got reason to submit more and more of yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we pray, that's what I want to invite you to do. This altar is open. I'm happy to pray with you. If you feel like the Lord's calling you to salvation, I'd love to talk with you more about what that means. But whether you come to this altar or you pray where you're at, I want you to just have an honest conversation with the Lord whereby you confess your sins, you ask him to give you strength, and you, you step out from this point forward more committed to living for God's glory, more committed to being conformed into his image as the Holy Spirit takes more control of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for all that you are doing in our hearts, in our lives, and even in our midst here today. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in how we respond now to your word. Lord, that you would speak and that we would obey. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, our desire is that we would live our lives for your glory, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit would be in complete and total control, that more and more we would be conformed to your image. And so, Lord, whatever that takes, we pray that you do that for us. We love you and we praise you. We surrender to you now during this time of invitation. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.